I don't know to what degree what I say and what I am is representative of German media theory, but, well, still, I prepared my talk and I will be reading my text. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Contemporary, let's say postmodern discourses on media, communication, information, etc., are functioning in our society in at least two different, even if interconnected, ways. They describe scientifically the functioning of contemporary media and the growing role in our society. But the development of the media theory during the recent decades was in a very obvious way motivated not only by a pure scientific interest for the make-up of the new information age, but also by a desire to undermine the role and position of the subject and to get rid of the philosophical tradition that had the subject as its main point of reference. We heard from Marshall McLuhan that the message of the medium undermines, subverts, and shifts every individual message using this medium. We heard from Heidegger that the Sprache spricht, the language speaks, and not so much an individual that is using the language. These formulations undermine the subjectivity of the speaker, of the sender of the message, but the hermeneutical subjectivity of the listener, reader, receiver of the information was left relatively intact. However, the reader and the construction and the lurch and machines of desire got rid also of this last avatar of the subjectivity. Here the individual reader, a reading of a text or interpretation of an image goes down in the infinite sea of interpretations and or is carried away by the impersonal flows of desire. These flows are understood by the contemporary media theory as being material and driven by powerful material forces. The subject, on the contrary, is traditionally understood as being purely spiritual, immaterial, and as such, completely powerless vis-à-vis -vis the material universe that is not perceived anymore as being subjected to any ideal metaphysical order that would be overimposed on the material reality and guarantee the place of subjectivity. Without the superimposed metaphysical order, the interplay of material forces presents itself as pure chaos. We know that already from Nietzsche. The merely spiritual immaterial subject has no power that would allow it to take control over this chaos and subject it to a certain order. Accordingly, the subject cannot produce, stabilize, and communicate its message using the media of communication because these media are also material. The ultimate message of the media is a chaos of material forces that manifest itself as zero message, as nonsense, actually. Beyond any subjective power of control of interpretation, individual attempt to give a meaning to this chaos. This incapacity of the subject to formulate, stabilize, and communicate its message through the media is often characterized as a death of the subject. This is a standard mass cultural formula covering all the subtleties of the different media theories, and it is this formula that I would like to discuss now. I think it's the effect of my teaching of this as that philosophical theories uh, to the students. All of them, the first thing I hear from them is a subject is dead. 
so that gives me some impulse to reflect on that. This formula refers to the subject that can be called the master subject. That means the subject that is able, that is willing, and that is able to formulate and communicate its intentions, its thinking, its message. The mastery of the communication is revealed by the contemporary media theory, as I already said, as subjective illusion. But one can still ask, who is the subject of the subjective illusion? Who is the subject of the desire to master the communication in the name of its own thinking? Who is the subject of the desire to become a subject or to be a subject? Obviously, the deconstruction, uh, as well as other forms of contemporary critical theory, presupposes the existing of this desire to become a subject. Otherwise, they would have no edge. You have to criticize this desire because they know the desire is there. If it would be no desire to become a subject, then the theory would make no sense. And if there is a desire to, become, to be a subject, it must be a subject of this desire to become a subject. Okay. So, uh, I, it's not my uh, task here to reflect on, to reflect on the ontological nature of the subject, the desire to be a subject. But now it is fair to say, looking at my students and many other people, uh, it's fair to say that the subject is, meanwhile, well aware of the contemporary media theory, including the discourse of deconstruction. So every subject that desires to be a subject knows that it's been possible from the beginning. Yeah? Earlier, I mentioned the mass cultural status of the formula, the death of the subject. Today, the contemporary subject is fully prepared to give up its spirit. Yeah? I just uh, rendered in... English, a uh, very good uh, German formula, Geist aufzugeben. Yeah? <laughs> By entering the material media and flows of communication. Alexander Korzhev wrote already before World War II that the writing is a prolonged form of suicide. At that time, only a few others, uh, others knew that. In our time, this knowledge became a truly democratic one. Everybody knows that. The post-deconstructive subject has capitulated from the beginning. In its struggle for the dominance over the media, it gave up its will to power, its desire of mastery, its hope to formulate and communicate its message from the beginning. But this capitulated subject is not the dead subject. In fact, the contrary is true. The capitulation is the best guarantee of survival. Here I would like to remind you of the primary scene of the emergence of the self-conscious subject, as it was described by Hegel in his Phenomenology of Spirit. As you remember, according to Hegel, the subject becomes self-conscious, where its life is put into the extreme moral danger by a struggle between itself and the other subject, a struggle with an unpredictable outcome. Thus, the subject emerges originally through awareness of its possible death, being seized by fear and trembling. So only if I know that I die, yeah, I'm even certain that I die, and immediately endangered by death, I know that I'm subject, yeah, and I become subject. Yeah. So the birth of the subject of the angst of death 
is a figure that was repeated later in different forms by Kierkegaard, Nietzsche, Heidegger, and many other authors. Now Hegel famously describes the outcome of the fight between two self-consciousnesses in a following way. One wins, the other dies, or capitulates. So two different situations. One becomes a master, the other becomes a servant. So actually in Hegel it is Knecht, and Knecht is servant. It's not slave. Yeah, a lot of translations, Knecht is slave into English. The servant, let's say, gives up his and her own desires and begins to serve the desires of the master. Thus, the servant subject becomes reduced to a thing, a tool, a material medium for the realization of the desires of the master subject. In this way, the servant subject becomes a material force operating on the same level as other material forces. Therefore, ultimately, the world history becomes the history of the servant subject and not of the master subject, because the world history is the history of the work of the material action. The work as service is away from pure spirituality and immateriality into the materiality of the real world. The servant subject transforms the world by his or her material work and puts the material world under his control, remaining a servant. However, the serving subject can survive and take control over the material world only by remaining a capitulated subject, by giving up its own desires, messages, and dream of mastery. Also in the position of power, the capitulated subject remains a servant subject, serving technology, society, humanity, progress, nature, world, peace, many other things. A war, too. The ultimate historical role of the capitulated subject, according to Hegel, is a role of executive, functionary, manager, bureaucrat. To apply this Hegelian insight onto a current topic, one can say that only the subject that becomes aware of the possibility and uncertainty of its imminent death, through its use of the material media of communication, becomes truly self-consciousness, uh, conscious, that means truly subjective. So at the moment we die, or we are ready to die in the media, we become self-conscious. Okay. But we want to survive. Hegelian servant subject built a state as a prison for its master, who is reduced to a role of a citizen under the control of law. The contemporary capitulated subjects build the internet as a prison for traditional master, subject of thinking, being reduced to the role of network user and content provider. That's two names for what was early intellectual, philosopher, artist, as a content provider. Content provider is the master, yeah, you know, this dead master, yeah, of the ancient times. He survives in a prison of contemporary system. Here's a servant subject, gives up one's own message, and brings us to serve messages of the others. It becomes Google, Facebook, Wikipedia, and innumerable other internet agencies. So all these agencies are subjective in a sense that they're organized, that they have their goals, they have these practices. Uh, uh, you know, internet is, of course, not uh, immaterial. Is it, of course, uh, also not infinite. It's a kind of... Uh, 
telephone system, but uh, a bit expanded. And it is finite, it's material, it is controlled by certain institutions. We know them. So Google, Facebook, and many others, but big corporations. So these corporations are the serving subjects of the contemporary media. By doing this uh, capitulated servant subject, captures and puts all the content providers, all the early masters of the messages, into the prison of the media networks. Not accidentally, the individual sites on a Facebook all look as epitaphs, and the whole network looks a huge symmetry, at the same time as a forum for kind of post-mortal conversations. And also, half epitaph, half... Um, Police registration cards, yeah? Yeah? Uh, so your eyes, color of your eyes, hair, yeah, right, yeah, gender, yeah, name, yeah, so. So the kind of um, um, combination between prison and, 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 and symmetry. So the servant subject serves the sign flows, so that they can't flow ever further. But at the same time, it channels the flows of information by controlling not their meaning, but precisely the material side, the direction, quantity, etc. And this operational control, channeling, directing, delivering, is not innocent. The own message of the medium is, as was already said, a zero message. The ordering channeling world of the operational servant subject brings order to the scales. By channeling the information, the operational subject produces meaning even if it does it indirectly in the mood of self-concealment. Therefore, the servant subject can never put itself beyond any suspicion of corruption, manipulation, and having a hidden agenda. So the, actually, the sphere of contemporary media is a sphere, of course, of suspicion. And actually, media on the level of content, if you want, uh, is living out of the suspicion because the message of the media is now we show you what was hidden, yeah, what is reality behind the appearances. But then we ask this media what is, a, what is hidden behind its own appearances. So it's this kind of manipulation. And so this kind of uh, movement of suspicion uh, goes ever further. The only way to avoid the suspicion and to restage the original scene of the struggle between the subjective message and the noise, the chaos of the media, was the avant-garde of the 20th century, and certain arts that still does today, stays today in this tradition. In his diary, Flight Out of Time, Hugo Ball describes the simultaneous poem that was presented by, uh, by Heisenberg, Tsar, and Janka, on 29th March uh, 1916 at the Cabaret Voltaire, and in which score of the recital was cons constituted via parallel uh, um, uh, recitations in different languages, including singing, whistling, crackling, and other noises. As Bell remarks, and I quote, the human organ represents the soul, the individuality in its wanderings with its demonic, compa demonic companions. The noises represent the background, the inarticulate, the disastrous, the decisive. In a, typically, in a typically compressed way, the poem shows the conflict of the vox humana with the world that threatens, ensnares, and destroys it, 
a word whose rhythm and noise are ineluctable. End of quotation. Nevertheless, about three months later, uh, 23rd June 1916, Bari writes in his diaries that he has invented a new genre of poems, namely loud gedichte, sound poetry. And sound poetry, as described by Bal, can be interpreted as a self-destruction of the traditional poem, as an exposure of the downfall and disappearance of the individual voice. I would say that the staging of the death of the voice, of the staging of the death of the subject, so here the subject is really dies. The subject doesn't go as a sermon subject in the regulation, uh, into the regulation of media flows. Instead, the subject, uh, having no, um, uh, no other way out, stages its own death. And he describes that, while describes the effect of the public reading of this first uh, sound poem, as a Cabaret Voltaire, in the following way, I quote again, then the lights went out, and I had ordered and bathed in sweat. I was carried out of the stage like a magical bishop. So why is a magical bishop here at the end of quotation? The reading of the sound poetry was experienced and described by Bal as an exhausting exposure of the human voice to the demonic forces of the noise. Bal wins this battle, becoming the magical bishop only by surrendering, but this surrendering in a radical way, not in a uh, uh, manipulative way, to the cows, making his own voice the messenger, to the messenger of the message of the media, so the messenger of the pure noise, the messenger of the pure cows, the messenger of the medium itself. And that's why this point at which the medium itself appears through his voice makes him a bishop, yeah, a magical bishop. It's not the divine voice. It's a demonic chaos. Yeah? But still, it is, an, um, it, is a, uh, it is a magic operation. Now, at the end of my presentation, I would argue that a continuation or maybe a certain way of continuing this tradition uh, I see in the WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. And not so much the specific political impact or consequences of his revelations, but much more his claim that he simply lets the information flow in an anarchic-chaotic way, not an orderly way, but an anarchic-chaotic way, to reveal the cause of the media themselves. Yeah. To, to let the medium to tell all, yeah, it, uh, actually uh, was reminded uh, of the late work of Foucault and his idea of telling all of Parisia. So to tell all means to tell everything that is to tell, yeah, to let media to flow in a completely chaotic way, not to channel it. So that, uh, uh, at the end of my presentation, that tried to uh, uh, give a certain kind of phenomenological uh, description of the three possibilities of the subjectivity. To survive as a parody of itself, as a master subject that is reduced to content provider, as a sermon subject, channeling such, uh, 
uh, flaws information and as a staging of its own death that is in a certain way return to the original notion of sovereignty. Okay, that was it. <laughs>